Thanks for listening to this show from Aspen Public Radio. Archive podcasts, news, and more are made available thanks to the support of listeners like you. To make a donation of support, log on to aspenpublicradio.org. And thanks. Welcome to Valley Roundup, a review of the top news stories in the Valley in the past week. I'm Carolyn Sakariasen. Glenwood Springs has two new council members. After they take office next week, we'll probably have a new mayor. The council selects the mayor here, and that will happen late next week. The Thompson Divide could be further protected from oil and gas drilling. But what about other areas, and how do residents there feel about that sort of activity in their backyards? There is movement and millions of dollars in play in getting a base village built at the base of Snowmass Ski Area. We're supposed to get an aqua center that was supposed to benefit the whole community. We don't want an aqua center anymore, but what are you going to offer us instead? And um, Related came forward with an offer to uh, provide the town with cash to build their own community facility of their choosing. Meanwhile, a new executive director has been hired at the Wheeler Opera House. And an Aspen City Council candidate is being scrutinized for something he did 10 years ago. Who would do that? Why would you do that? Why would you think this is a good idea? And to send it to the mayor, who clearly understands what Acra's position is on this and that, and that it's not what you're making it out to be. Joining me this week are Curtis Wackerly, editor of the Aspen Daily News, Jill Bethard, editor of the Snowmass Sun, Randy Essex, editor of the Glenwood Post Independent, and Michael Miracle, editor of Aspen Sojourner Magazine. Welcome to the studio. Good to be Glad here. Glad to be on the line. Great to be here. Hello. So, Randy, we're going to start with you. You just had an election, and the results came in, and two people were elected, and they also happened to be the ones that got the most donations. One seemed to be a little bit controversial from an oil and gas interest. You talk yeah, about the that? last reporting, financial reporting deadline before the election was on the Friday before, and we went and looked at the forms and found a $4,000 donation from a former uh, energy company CEO who has a, a home here in Glenwood and is going to move here full-time. And he gave the money to Steve Davis, who's a home builder, renovator, who did work on his house. And then he also gave $2,000 to Catherine Trogger. We asked Steve Davis about it. He said that the guy, you know, it came up in conversation that, hey, I'm running for city council. The guy said, I want to support you. Davis talked him into also giving some money to Trogger. Uh, it was more money than, than Glenwood has seen, at least from an outside source. Somebody from Denver may have a somewhat different concept of how much money is needed. We think that Davis is going to end up returning some donations because not all of it was spent. But it did cause a flap on a campaign that had been really quiet, and there were complaints uh, that it was buying the election. I guess I would go along with that a little bit more if the money had actually been spent. But Do city council members down there have any influence on any oil and gas decisions? Minimally. I mean, there can be... They can go along with or stand in the way of road development. And, of course, any time a road is paved, it be you know, there's a contingent that says it's going to become a haul route. But the city really doesn't, you know, have a lot of sway over that. After they take office next week, we'll probably have a new mayor. The council selects the mayor here, and that will happen late next week. If they wanted to, the council could really throw a wrench into the Thompson Divide by preventing trucks from using roads that go through the city of Glenwood, though, correct? Well, 
that's that's what I what's what I meant by they can stand in the way of or they can go along with road decisions. But you know, and that's the four mile route. I think that the council, and I don't think this election changes anything, is in sync with people, including the county commission, who really have not pushed for development in Thompson Divide. I wouldn't expect that to change, and there's certainly bigger fish to fry. I don't think this has anything to do with oil and gas. Sorry, Randy, just a question for you. Uh, The the money would then seem to have had no impact on the election. You said it wasn't spent. Uh, How how handedly did Davis win? He had, I believe, without looking, 59% of the vote. It was a, it's a ward election, so there weren't that many votes, five or 600 votes, maybe, and I may be overstating that, but he, he won handily and Trogger won handily. She had uh, a little over 60% of the vote, too. You know, I, I ask because it seems that our sort of implication, based on our conversation we're having now, is that the, the oil and gas money would benefit him, but he didn't spend it. And I, for me, if I see somebody get a big chunk of money from an oil and gas guy, it might dissuade me. And it sounds like that didn't happen either. So it had no no impact, it sounds it like. It happened at the 11th hour, and the opponents, Tony Hershey, made a big deal of it, tried to make a big deal of it. Imagine there were that. a flurry of letters and Facebook posts. I think a lot of the ballots were in, but I don't know that it, it would have made a great deal of difference. I think that that this was a donation from a wealthy guy to the guy who built his home here in Glenwood Springs where he's going to retire rather than it being a donation from a retired oil and gas CEO. Right. Is, is the whole thing just moot anyway since it looks like there's some movement happening in the Thompson Divide? So I think encouraged a little bit by the Rhone Plateau deal late last year, the uh, industry interest, URSA and... The other company, I'm sorry. SG, SG Interest. Yes, thank you. Have proposed a lease swap. They hold the disputed leases in Thompson Divide, and they have said if we can drill or if we get the right to explore in uh, Rio Blanco, Mesa counties, also on on public lands, we would relinquish these leases. Uh, There's a sticking point having to do with whether they would give up lease rights forever in Thompson Divide, which, not surprisingly, under the industry proposal, they would not. And differently than the uh, Rhone Plateau deal, this is being taken to the local governments first. So the Rio Blanco County Commissioners, the Garfield County Commissioners, have already gotten a look at it, whereas with the Rhone Plateau deal, there was a deal cut, and it was taken to local governments after the fact. So it does create an opportunity for some environmentalists, some industry input, and then it needs federal legislation. But I do think that this is the kind of thing that can actually pass Congress if you get people on board. I think it's interesting that looking at the Thompson Divide Coalition, the kind of the strategy that they've had all along, which was, you know, obviously very much about that place. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, Zane, Zane Kessler uh, had a quote in the the article that you sent around to, to us, Carolyn, one by John Stroud, sort of ag- acknowledging the potential way that sort of moving this to a different community might resonate, you know, and, and I think that, I think he seems aware that this has the potential to come off as like just kind of elitist in some way, that this community that managed to build the political action and has managed just to move it to another community where it might be more welcome. Like, you know, they, they, they may just be more open to it. They may view it as a win there. But I think 
Zane's comment about, you know, wanting those people in that community to have a, a seat at the table so that we're just not moving the problem to them uh, was interesting uh, because it seems, you know, that that maybe this was a potential part of the a strategy all along was well, just to get it away from here. I think that there's appropriate places to drill around the state and there's inappropriate places to drill. And I think if you have to build roads or it's really hard to get to like the Thompson Divide, it's an inappropriate place. Right. Right along the Rome Plateau and the I-70 corridor is a different yeah. a different beast. Yeah. Right. But, but do we know how people in those areas feel about it? That's the question. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think, I think you know, Zane is, is smart to put it on the table from his organization's perspective, which is, you know, he represents a group that managed to, it's looking like it's going to get away from here, which was, that was their very specific goal, was not the Thompson Divide. And uh, and I think, you know, Jill's question is a, is a good one. How do those people feel? Like, we, are we just assuming because they've they've got a lot of it that they're fine with a little bit more? Because, uh, you know, to get away from it, you know, the, the people who, who may be against it there may not be able to afford to move out of where they are and move to this valley. So there's there's a little bit of a, a kind of a socioeconomic side to it, I think. I would say I don't think that there's much chance that this was the, the strategy all along. This approach is emerging because the Rhone Plateau deal kind of gave people a, a little bit different template than had been discussed in the past. I, I didn't mean to say that it was the, the strategist, just that it was potentially a, a strategy. And I think they've looked at every possible way to get this done. And this was, as, as you say, Randy, the, the one of the later ones to emerge and, and prove viable. Randy, yeah. do you know, I mean, what's the what was the impetus for these oil and gas companies? You know, they're, they're going to face years of litigation and fighting. I mean, even if the BLM says that these leases are valid, there will be continued legal challenges. And the leases that they might get in exchange for the Thompson Divide leases might, you know, be a whole lot easier to develop. They have infrastructure in place. The terrain is different. They don't have to fight with Glenwood Springs about the roads with Garfield County about the road. So it, it could be a productive exit for them. Moving up Valley, Jill, seems like there was some horse trading and multi-million dollar negotiating happening at the Snowmass Village Town Council That's table. That's one way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, concerning Base Village. So what's the what happened last Monday and what's happening this coming Monday? Well, Monday, uh, Related came forward with an offer to give cash in lieu of building a community purpose facility in Base Village, which is something that has held up the review process for several months now. Just that question of we were supposed to get an aqua center that was supposed to benefit the whole community. We don't want an aqua center anymore, but what are you going to offer us instead? And um, Related came forward with an offer to uh, provide the town with cash to build their own community facility of their choosing and to build an events plaza in Base Village, but the events plaza didn't really fly. The town council doesn't think that that will create any vitality, any energy in Base Village. They think that you need something with an activity, like an ice rink, which is what they eventually settled on. And the town also felt that they deserved more cash than Related was offering. What are they going to do with that cash? That hasn't been decided yet. Um, I think that there will be a public process of you know, we have this money. Every There's different factions in Snowmass. Some people want a discovery center for the Ice Age Discovery. Some people want a multi-use performing arts facility. You know, maybe those can be combined, maybe not. Some people still want a pool. W- would the location change if it were done by, by Related or done by uh, the town with the cash in lieu? So how vital is, is that? 
Well, it would if this deal goes through, it will not be in Base Village. Whatever it is will not be built in Base Village. Um, but the town has different land sites it could be built on. They have a small lot um, right next to Town Hall. They have uh, the entryway, which has been talked about quite a bit of what we're going to do there with that land. Um, and they have a seven-star property, which kind of borders the entryway. It could probably be combined. So it would not be in Base Village. Yeah, it wouldn't be at that real people center, which uh, <laughs> right. you know, t- to me it would seem that Related would really want to find something that, that would work and that would create that kind of, you know, that draw, preferably a year-round one. Right, which I think is why they eventually um, agreed on an ice rink, on building some kind of, spending some money on improvements for something like that. That could be a year-round center of activity in Base Village, but community purpose is separate from that. To me, this really just kind of speaks to one of the big problems is that here we are, you know, more than a decade after the approval for Base Village. Now, granted, we had six years of, you know, lawsuits and litigation, install construction, but we can't figure out what the community benefit is. I mean, <laughs> this has been going on for a good, good thing we didn't give related an expedited review up there. Jeez, right, right. you know, like, come on. I mean, and that's the whole point, right? That's why they didn't want to do an exp- expedited review. Yeah, what it is. It is actually. And th- that this issue specifically yeah. is why they didn't expedite the review. But, and yeah, I think I think part of the problem is just that so much time has gone on. And 12 years ago, we thought we wanted an aqua center. We thought that made sense. But now there's not support behind it. So, what? so what's the well, cause, new... Because then cause Snowmass the went, went and built a, a, a rec center of its own with right. a great pool, right? Well, I, that was always part of the plan. But hmm. for some reason, water at Base Village was as well. I, I, I wasn't here. Does, <laughs> I don't understand it, but... Leave it to Snowmass to want to have but two so, pools within a mile of each other. But so there's going to be an ice rink and then something else outside of Base Village. That's yes. kind of where if we're this, at right now. That's where okay. we're at right now. Okay. Yeah. But it's probably going to um, change. That's something else. Yeah, like I said, mm-hmm. it, it could be... There's a lot of different things it could be. You know, it could be something that hasn't even been offered mm-hmm. up yet. What, what is it that seems to make the, the sort of, you know, the, the public aspects of what they're doing consistently fall away? So, that, so Anderson Ranch was going to do work with them and do kind of a, a, a performance venue, an arts venue there, right? Mm-hmm. That, to me, seemed like a great idea for Snowmass, you know, a way to mm-hmm. leverage this hugely important institution right. that, that has an international reputation and... and and that could actually be a nice counterbalance to to the art museum in terms of the kinds of kind of art they show, more ceramics and woodworking and things like that. But and, and, and you know, I when I heard that Snowmass was doing that, I thought, oh, that is a fantastic idea. Right. And then it fell away, and that seems to happen again and again with this public component. Do you, do you have any sense why that is? I'm not. I'm not sure if there's the same reason every time. I think something happened on the ranch's side with that mm-hmm. offer, and um, but but that's been the holdup is, you know, they're, they are required to b- provide some kind of public benefit. That's been the holdup. They ended up submitting their application later than they thought they would because that Anderson Ranch idea fell through. Mm-hmm. I, d- I don't know if it's there's a consistent reason why that's happening, but it's figuring that out is definitely key to getting this project going. Related just offered, put money on the table not that long ago, right? Did anybody see that coming? Was that part of negotiations with the town? Uh, yeah, no they were working before. on that with with the town staff and you know just they were still pushing for a pool next to the limelight as opposed to a big aqua center they were going to do a pool next to the limelight that would be open to the public but the public had to pay so people didn't see that as a public benefit they saw that as a hotel pool and they were offering a space for the discovery center which the discovery center liked the location they liked base village but 
They didn't think the space was big enough and it, it just wasn't an ideal space for them. It wasn't built for them. It was built for a, a retail store. The Discovery Center needs to go at the intercept lot. You do a nice what? big museum there, you know, like, hey, look at this and put the whole mammoth in there. But, you know, they're concerned <laughs> yeah. that if they go down there or they go to the entryway that people won't come. They won't get enough foot traffic. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're building a base village, you know. It's like th- there's supposed to be a, a vibrancy there and, and, and lots of people interacting with each other, preferably visitors and, and, and locals. And, uh, yeah, and I think, you know, just the, the, the area itself, there's, there's, there's a draw there when, say, there's a concert or something. I mean, it, it's it, totally. I, yeah. I think it yeah. doesn't necessarily have to be something that's so permanent. Yeah, pool would be great, ice rink, whatever. But, uh, you know, it it's also can just be about the consistency of the programming. So, say, Skiko might step up and say, you know, we're going to commit to doing something a couple times a week versus, say, you know, the three big concerts we do. Right. Uh, I mean, there are other ways to ignite that space uh and and keep it vibrant i mean we all go to thursday night concerts every week you know right it doesn't matter where you live if you live in the valley you're there if you're staying in the valley you're there and stuff something like that could in base village could could draw this is valley roundup a look at the week's news with writers and editors in the valley joining me this week are curtis wackerly editor of the Aspen Daily News, Jill Bethard, editor of the Snowmass Sun, Randy Essex, editor of the Glenwood Post Independent, and Michael Miracle, editor of Aspen Sojourner Magazine. The Wheeler. Nice scoop you had this week, Curtis. <laughs> Good job. Uh, so we have a new executive director who's vowing to up the profile of the Wheeler Opera House and put bigger acts in there? That's what she's saying. And I think she's sort of on a collision course with the belly up. You know, with the, the stuff she's talking about, getting getting big touring bands here, you know, doing their only Colorado show at the Wheeler Opera House. I mean, there's already a venue in town that, that has been doing that for a while. And, you know, it sounds like she's uh, she's got them in, their si- in her sights. But um, this this person, she you know, she was probably the the youngest out of out of the finalists, you know, somewhere in her thirties, coming from a kind of similar facility. I mean, certainly, uh, I've never been to the Villar Performing Arts Center in Beaver Creek, but uh, you know, the Wheeler is certainly a, probably a grander and more historic theater. <clears throat> but it is sort of a similar institution in a mountain town, bringing in arts and culture, and so she's familiar with you know with the landscape. I'd say. Um, and, you know, she sounds excited about the job, which is great. And she sounds like she does want to up the profile of that theater. I mean, we joke all the time about, you know, father, father, time. father time playing at the Wheeler for, a, you know, a th- <laughs> three-month three residency. <laughs> um, so. But, you know, it's this, it's this kind of stately old theater, and you can't take the seats out. So you can't have, you know, you can't have a dance party, really. Well, widespread was there. So there's, you know, it, it's, it's better suited to a certain type of act. But I don't, you know, you, it still would be good to try. Like, so what would it be like to get, say, you know, North Mississippi All-Stars? They're playing at Belly Up this weekend. What would that show be like at the Wheeler? And, uh, you know, arguably it'd be really cool to see him in this huge grand old theater with a balcony. I mean, how, how much would you want to be front row of the balcony for, for a rock and roll show at the Wheeler? Yeah, you know, I, 
I'll maybe you know date myself just a little bit here, but I'd encourage anyone listening to to Google <laughs> the the band In Excess, I N X S, and the Wheeler. They did a I think a six song private show there that the whole thing is up on YouTube, and it it looks really fun, really fun. It was really high energy. There are people dancing. Uh, I think that there has been this assumption in place uh, that that just can't happen at the Wheeler. Look, you know, they just bands, ban- b- bands like like Fish and the Grateful Dead and lots of bands that, you know, fill, fill arenas with 20,000 people who immediately stand up and dance in their seats. It's not like it's an impossibility. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It just hasn't been part of the Wheeler's programming or image. And I say hats off to this person if they want to come in and try and change that. And that's obviously the, the direction the city wants to go because, you know, they obviously did a, a pretty extensive interview process and weeded these people out. So I'm sure that was a topic mm-hmm. of conversation in those interviews. You know, I, I want to go back. Sorry. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, I, yeah. I just had a question because um, my family has spent a lot of time in Vail. We used to ski there. And um, I've always noticed that the Villar's schedule is often really similar to the Wheelers. I mean, yes. some of the same acts go through there, go through here. And so my question when I first heard about this is what qualifies this person to change things up? She kind of just seems like the same person, the same Mm -hmm. schedule moved to Aspen. Well, I think, I think the VLAR does, you know, is, is the wheeler, but it's also, um, it's also a little bit the Benedict music tent, you know, that I think the New York Philharmonic did a two week residency there three, four years ago. Um, and uh, Aspen Santa Fe Ballet has performed there. So it's it's more of our venues rolled into one in terms of the breadth of their programming. She also made the point that, that they don't have the equivalent of the belly up in, um, in Vail. They don't have like a nightclub that brings in touring acts. So, mm. it, you know, it sounds like, like Michael said, the Velar has to fill. It's a little more eccentric in it. Yeah, it has to fill all these it, different so. roles, where, whereas in, in Aspen, you know, we have a lot more, more venues and few more cultural outlets than they do in Vail. You know, I think the, the, the belly up is, is a great thing to bring up. Uh, you know, they, they, they make life hard for Jazz Aspen, too. You know, it's like, what you know, Jazz Aspen will look at uh, a band who might say, you know, be a headliner at their June festival, and they've been to the belly up four times in the last three years, uh, that, that act, and it's, you know, people can see them in that venue. And I think you know, the, the belly up has done an amazing job. And I think, you know, the, the, the big name side of things uh we, we haven't said this woman's name yet what, what is her name jenna bueller jenna bueller uh bueller <laughs> bueller, <laughs> bueller. <laughs> anybody bueller <laughs> um you know the, the belly up their their scouts are great they, they find you know more than just the big names they find the up-and-comers they do free shows they have local bands perform with some frequency or local band just grew um, and so uh, it's not, not just the big names, but I think also that, you know, the, the wheelers kind of, you know, genre positioning, the belly up doesn't do a lot of bluegrass and kind of folky stuff. And I think there's a way to do that mm-hmm. at the wheeler that doesn't feel so old. You know, it, it's, it's not a sixties icon. There are lots of great music of that type being produced today by young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those bands have big followings of young people, uh, which it might be great to see the wheeler filled with young people. Um, not, not to mention they're about to upgrade the bar lobby area and try and make that a little little bit uh, more of, of a space that's a destination for people. So, yeah, what, what, what a, I, I hadn't been to see one in years, but I, I went to see the, the Warren Miller film at the Wheeler, and it was a blast. It was really a community event. It was sold out. Uh, yeah. 
and there was dancing. They had a dance-off to give away a free pair of skis, and like the whole place stood up and danced. So again, dancing is possible. possible it is possible. It is possible. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this concept. So right. Um. Uh, more entertainment news. Randy, are you still there? I am. Okay, good. Um, I don't know if you had any uh, any um, controversy leading up to the in the campaign for your election, but we're starting to see it up here with um, at least one candidate so far who's being questioned on his ethics and integrity. Um, Bert Myron, uh, he got, there's some documentation that surfaced about the fact that he changed some ma campaign material that the Chamber of Commerce had sent out. This was 2004 re related to the visitor center. And he changed the meaning of an invite so it said, the invite said, get the facts about referendum 2A, which he was for, and he changed it to vote yes on referendum 2A. And he doesn't seem to think that there's anything wrong with that. He was just trying to get, he was an email to uh, the mayor then, and the mayor called him out on it and made him sign an affidavit that he had changed this, this document. I think he's got to be sweating a little bit. Um. Who would do that? And why would you do that? Why would you think this is a good idea? And to send it to the mayor, who clearly understands what ACRA's position is on this and that and that it's not what you're making it out to be by changing one word in this. It's just, who would think that this is a good idea? But I mean, the overall point here is, is should this give, give voters pause? And what does this say about Bert? And, uh, you know, he said at the forum last, you know, he kind of brushed it off last night and said, oh, this was just a private email communication between two people and you know could could you quickly explain it really br briefly again because I, I don't know i don't know if we have what like what exactly the issue is here yeah, what, what happened with the email okay so way back in 2004 acra wanted to build a new visitor center and they wanted to build it on this parcel of land that is uh, right there at the corner of maine and galena kind of across the street from the west door of the pickin county courthouse uh, they got this plan. They took it to city council. City council approved it. Um, this was before my time, but for some reason this was controversial. Very controversial because of the height and mass of the building. Because it was going to be like a three-story Acura Visitor Center? Yeah. What the hell were they going to have there? It's about the same size of the building that's there now. Okay, right. So that's sitting empty. So uh, there was a segment of the community that thought that this was a bad idea and that, you know, I'm sure, I, I, like I said, I wasn't here, but I can imagine the campaign slogans. This is a giveaway to the Chamber of Commerce, yada, 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 too big, height and mass, character, blah, blah, blah. So Bert was on the side that led a referendum charge. The council had approved this, so he went and did what he has done so many times, which is gather signatures. He found an issue that resonated with the public where people were against this. Gather signatures, got it on the ballot. So this was going to be referendum 2A. And if you vote in favor of it, then you are turning back this decision and you are saying no to the ACRA building. ACRA, of course, was against referendum 2A because they wanted their building. So the email said, get the facts about referendum 2A, as in come to this meeting and we're going to tell you why referendum 2A sucks and our visitor center is cool. So Bert took this invite and changed it to say, vote, vote yes. yes on referendum 2A. And changed the, the from line, the sender, to say, instead of just the staffer who sent it, sent it out on behalf of the chamber, uh -huh. he changed it to aspenchamber.org. So it made it look like the organization itself was saying, vote yes mm -hmm. on referendum 2A. And he and then forwarded it to Helen Klanderud, who's the mayor at the time, and was, you know, was in favor of the project, from what I can understand. She voted for it when it became... 
to city council, forwarded to her and said, Helen, I hope you will join me in uh, join ACRA. me and ACRA members in voting yes on 2A, which is, uh, like I said, it's just... I, she immediately saw through that, right? And she right. immediately saw through that she and forwarded it back to the ACRA president at the time and said, read this very carefully. What was the original email? And so then she had him sign an affidavit saying, I changed this and I changed the from line. Mm-hmm. And then that it never went anywhere. So he doesn't even remember it, he says. And they were at uh, loggerheads all the time. So well, he, 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 he's the one who kind of coined the clandarization Yes. Yeah. They did not term, like right? each other. Yeah. They did not get along. I think it does come down to a question of character and the fact that you can even think about something like that in doing that? Well, and he's saying it's a private email exchange, but if you're running for public office, integrity with the process is being questioned. They well, and he, he may view it as a as private, as he was a private citizen, but the person he sent it to was not at public, the time. She, you know, she's, the, she's the mayor. Uh, right. that the, the public should should be able to see that. Okay, well, that's going to do it. We're running out of time, so <laughs> we just thank run out you of very time. much for coming in, and Randy down there in Glenwood. Glad to call in. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Thanks Carolyn. Thanks. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Valley Roundup. I want to thank Curtis Wackerly, editor of the Aspen Daily News, Jill Bethard, editor of the Snowmass Sun, Randy Essex, editor of the Glenwood Post Independent, and Michael Miracle, editor of Aspen Sojourner Magazine. You can get a rundown of links and more information on the stories covered on the show on our website, aspenpublicradio.org. I'm Carolyn Sakariasen. Valley Roundup is a production of Aspen Public Radio News. Thanks for listening to this show from Aspen Public Radio. Archive podcasts, news, and more are made available thanks to the support of listeners like you. To make a donation of support, log on to aspenpublicradio.org. And thanks.